Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Emmett Gates. How are you doing, Emmett? Yeah, doing really good, Sam. Good to be back on. First time this season. Yeah, good um, to have you. Good to have you on. It's been a little while. And Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I am doing well, thank you. Excellent. Um, a lot of stuff to get through, as usual. Another controversial weekend in Syria. And we're going to start with one of the more controversial games, Juventus-Roma. That was, that was Sunday night. Um, Juve coming out with a 1-0 win. Uh, important win for them. And they're starting to get on a bit of a roll, Emmett. I think the main talking point from this game was the penalty decision um, for Roma. Uh, it, it was given as a penalty despite Tammy Abraham tapping the ball home a couple of seconds later. What did you make of it? Did, did the ref make the right call in this instance? So when it initially happened, I thought he had, or Daniele Orsato, or Sati had got it wrong. And I thought that, why not play the advantage? You know, Tommy Abraham scores and that's it. That's the matter done. But he blew the whistle so quickly. You know, as soon as McIntyre, Henrik McIntyre falls, essentially he's blown the whistle for a penalty instead of letting the play continue. But having seen numerous people go back and forth on Twitter about it, it seems that the reason why he didn't give it was because there, there was McIntyre handles the ball in the build-up to Tommy Abraham scoring. But in that case, saying, I'm thinking, well, why not give a free kick to Juve? If it's a handball, if he's, if Versati has seen that it's handball and he's not allowing the goal, surely it has to be a free kick in Juve's favour. I just don't understand it. But supposedly, several people have said to me on Twitter, because I commented on Twitter during the game, I, I said, why was it, you know, not given. And people said that, responded and said to me that you can't give an advantage if it's, if the, the action before is a clear-cut penalty, you can't give an advantage. And then other people said it was because Mkhitaryan used his hand to like almost pass the ball to Tommy Abraham. So I, I, I really don't know if it was the correct decision or not, to be honest. Yeah, the, I I think the thing with this one, there were a lot of things to check because I think initially they were checking whether Abraham was fouled. Um, I think it was maybe Danilo just gets a toe on the ball, so that bit's okay. They were yeah. then checking if it was offside for Mkhitaryan, but because Danilo was the one who got the touch, it wasn't. Then I think Mkhitaryan gets fouled and on his way down handles the ball. Yeah. So the foul comes before the handball. So that's why I think the penalty was given. So it seemed from my point of view that it was probably correct. Um, the, the thing about the can you play an advantage after a penalty, that is a bit debatable because I remember a Juventus game. I think you remember this one, Emmett, from 1999, uh, the Champions League semi-final where I think it's Dwight York gets taken out Um by, yeah, by, by, by Angelo Bruzzi. Exactly. And then Andy Cole taps it home and, and that goal stands. So what were your thoughts on it, Francesco? Um, I think in the end, the right decision happened. But I do think that... Um, so I, I'm, I've understood it slightly differently to Emma. I don't, I don't think that Orsato has seen Mkhitaryan handle the ball at all. I think he gives a penalty immediately... And in his defence, the Roma players immediately want the penalty. You can see Pellegrini, he's on the goal line and he's saying he wants the penalty before Abraham kicks the ball into the goal. So you can understand why he's given it. I think it is a mistake on his part. He should have let the play go on to see what happens. 
But some of the controversy as well stems from the fact that there's quite clear audio of Orsato going into the changing rooms at halftime. I think, I can't remember which one of my players talking to. It might be Cristante, but he's saying to Cristante, basically, you can never give, um, you can never play advantage when it's a penalty. He says that. And he says, and now you're blaming me just because you missed the penalty. But that's not true. The rule is that you, you should always give advantage if possible especially when it's a clear goal-scoring opportunity. So there's been a bit of controversy about what he said. Um, but I do think that's the right decision because I think that if, um, if he had played advantage and the, the goal had stood initially, then what they would have checked it with VAR. And when Mkhitaryan comes down, he clearly moves his hand towards the ball and touches the ball with his hand. And even though he might not be intentionally trying to move the ball because that movement is towards the ball and it does touch it, I definitely think that would be AI that would have ruled it anyway. So at that point, it would have been a penalty anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the way I've understood it. Yeah, it's certainly a, a lot of controversy. I think in the end they got to the right decision, but whether they made the right steps to get there, I'm not so sure. But as you say, the penalty was missed. Vera two shot saved by Chesney. Um, just looking at the game as a whole, it was quite a familiar pattern for a Juve game. I think I saw a stat earlier saying that under Allegri, they've won 22% of their games 1-0. 22% of their wins have been 1-0 wins under him. And we saw this against Chelsea in the Champions League, which they tried to do against Milan in the league as well, and it ended up one all. What do you think of this pattern, Emma, of Juve going ahead and trying to hang on for a 1-0 lead? And do you think that's the sort of thing that will cause some problems against lesser teams where they have to still keep playing rather than just, you know, holding on for a 1-0 for 70 minutes, say. Yeah. I mean, it's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways because I can see why Allegri is doing it simply because this UVA team, you know, at the moment, let's be honest about it, it's in a transition period and it's a mediocre team, hugely imbalanced. I mean, we've talked about this before, gone... Uh, on last season, you know, they couldn't really change the squad. The squad's more or less the same as it was last season, sans Cristiano Ronaldo. So Allegri is pretty much doing what he can just to get this team to get points on the board. And I feel that this season will pretty much be what you saw last night, what you saw against Chelsea. Um, basically just doing enough to get Juve over the line. And then in terms of next season, you will see more of Allegri's imprint on the side. Um, but I still think, even, say, against the likes of Spazia, Salernitana, they will obviously park the bus, the plane, the train, a couple of coaches, whatever. But I think Juve still have had just about enough individual quality to, to break those teams down and get points. So I think for the bigger games, like we saw against Chelsea and Roma, Juve will do this. They will basically 4-4-2, sit deep, hit on the counter through Chiesa. Um, and Moise Keane, Dybala when he's fit, Alvo Morato when he's fully fit. Um, but I do think that they do have the quality, especially if Dybala's on the pitch. Although I'm saying that, given his injury uh, track record in the last few seasons, that's debatable. But they do have enough quality to see off the likes of Salernitana, Spezia, you know, lesser teams down at the bottom of the table. So I'm not overly worried. Um, it's not attractive football. It's not easy in the A, but it's effective and it's propelling you, you back up the table, which is what they need. 
Yeah, I think after that sort of first four or five games, they were sort of stunned into this sort of way of playing. And uh, it, it seems to, as you say, just about be working at the moment. From a Roma perspective, Francesco, I think this was actually a win where if Mourinho was Juve manager, he'd be quite proud of it. Um, but how do you sort of see them getting on? And what's realistic for them? A, a top four finish this year, would you say? I think they can aim for top four, but I would be surprised if if they do finish in the Champions League qualification places. I think that there are other teams that have got more to them. Um, and yesterday, uh, even though they, they did get that penalty, that felt like something that happened only because Chiellini made that mistake. He, he basically kicked the ball to Abraham um, just on a regulation playing out from the back. I think Roma could have played for days and never scored. I was actually really impressed with Juve yesterday. I thought they they looked solid, and the I, I feel like Roma lack they they are lacking something. It's not really clear what that is, but compared to say a Napoli or Inter or even Juve um, and Atalanta, I think those teams have have more to them. So. I think this is an improvement on last season already and they do look pretty good when they're going forwards, but I'm not sure that they'll finish in the top four. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of... I agree great... with... Yeah, continue, Emma. Yeah, go, go. No, I was going to say I agree with Francesco there. I felt that Juve pretty much kept Roma at arm's length. Like, Roma could have played for a week and never really looked like scoring. There was really, you know... So Chesney really didn't penalty save the side and I think there was a header from Ibanez, maybe, from a corner... He didn't really have a whole lot to do. And saying that, you know, Rui Patrizio didn't have a whole lot to do either. But I felt like Juve pretty much just kept them at arm's length. And Roma had, what, 70% possession of the ball. But it was futile in a lot of ways. I feel that there's definitely, as Francesco says, it's an improvement than the Roma we saw under Fonseca, who, you know, Fonseca's record in the big games was atrocious. And yes, Roma lost. But... There is definitely improvement there, but I feel in the creative areas, you know, the, the three behind Tommy Abraham really didn't create anything. You know, there was no real drive, no incisiveness. It was all nicey, nicey passing, but it was all in front of Juve. It was never hurting Juve. And they, they could have played for days and never, never put a feather in Juve. Yeah, of course, uh, for Roma, one of those attacking players, Nicolo Zaniolo, went off injured. I think they're still figuring out uh, what happened. Something with his knee again, I think there were worries. So hopefully that's not serious. Uh, but we're going to move on to uh, another huge clash from this weekend, which was on Saturday evening, Lazio Inter. And Lazio pulling off a bit of an upset, I think, here, um, Francesco, particularly considering their defence. When I saw Lazio's defence, I thought they're in trouble here because it looked absolutely dreadful on paper um, but they managed to pull out a 3-1 win we'll get straight to the controversial event from this game should Felipe Anderson have kicked the ball out of play in the build-up to Lazio's second goal no he shouldn't definitely not and uh, I don't even think he's controversial I think the Inter players and fans have invented a controversy because um First of all, because to start off with, when Di Marco goes down, Inter carry on playing. They, they try and score a goal. Then Lazio get the ball back and Di Marco still on the floor and Lazio rightly carry on playing. But even if Inter hadn't carried on playing, there is way too much of these players pretending they're injured. 
I've, I've got nothing against Inter or Di Marco, who's having a great season so far, and I'm pleased that he's been called up to the national team. But throughout Serie A, but across all the leagues in Europe, we have got used to players just rolling around on the floor when they are not injured. And it's really annoying. And it, it takes away from the game because then you have to stop and two men have to come on the pitch and spray someone who's not injured. Then he pretends to be injured because he doesn't want to lose face. And so he hobbles off. So that takes even more time. It's just a massive waste of time. And that rule and the idea behind the rule that the referee should be the one stopping play is so that these kind of things don't happen. So I think that um, Felipe Anderson is absolutely right to carry on playing. And Inter can't really say anything about it. The only thing I, I would say is that I don't think Lautaro Martinez realised that DiMarco had gone down. I think he quickly turned. Um, I agree with you on this. I don't think they should have kicked the ball out. And I also think Inter had plenty of players back to deal with the situation and they they simply didn't. Um, Felipe Anderson actually on the day was outstanding. He was really good and and him and Immobile obviously went on and, and, and got that goal between them. Um Emma, I don't know if you saw this, but after the game, then Luis Felipe got sent off. Did you, um, I, I thought this was just ridiculous from him, to be honest. And then he starts crying. What did you make of that whole incident? I thought it was fantastic. To be honest, <laughs> I wish more players would do that kind of thing. Um, but obviously, he he meant it in you know good faith. Obviously, he said himself they were good friends. And he obviously maybe just got a bit carried away, you know, just right after the final whistle, jumped on his back. But I mean, sending him off was, you know, it was way too harsh for what he did. He literally just jumped on his back, you know, just trying to, you know, maybe goad him a bit, but not in a, you know, to end up in violence, just, you know, ah, we win, you know, you lose type of thing. So, yeah, it, it was, in terms of sending off, you know, players getting sent off, I it was a really harsh on call for, but actually, actually admired him for you know <laughs> for a bit of shit housery and you know just jumping on his back like sixty seconds after the game had ended. Yeah, it, it was all a bit bizarre because, as you say, he did it to Joaquin Correa, who, who of course, is a former Lazio player. So you'd think that, yeah, they do get on quite well. I think Correa just didn't really know what the hell was going on, though, because... He yeah, because he... Come in yeah, because he, he obviously, obviously just jumped on his back and he's probably like, who is this on my back? <laughs> yeah, but, was, but what you would... I mean, I don't know what, he, what Luis Felipe is thinking, because even if that was my best friend, if I just beating him in a game. There's no way I would be doing it. I'd be expecting to get punched in the face. I mean, and I, and I would also be the one wanting, you know, if I was Correa, I would have wanted to punch Luis Felipe in the face. And I'm sure you feel the same way because in that moment, I, I, how, how did Luis Felipe think he was going to take it? <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was quite bizarre, uh, particularly given how the last 10 minutes had panned out. You know, it was very ill-tempered and uh, yeah, Lazio getting a couple of late goals to eventually win the game. 3-1. It's quite hard to know what to make of these two teams. Obviously, under two new managers, I guess we could say Inter are probably aiming for the title. Lazio are aiming for top four. Emma, I'll come to you on this. Which team do you think is more likely to sort of achieve their aim this season? And are, are you concerned for either side that they're going to fall quite a way short of their aim? Yes, on both counts. I, I would be amazed if Inter won the Skidado or even was challenging for the Skidado, proof be told. Um, I think they've just lost one, obviously they lost Hakimi and Lukaku and I just think 
It's going to take time under Simone Inzaghi, but I would be frankly amazed if they end up retaining the title. Um, as for Lazio, again, Masari takes time to implement his ways and players to get used to his style of playing. I mean, you've seen Luis Alberto drop completely. He's obviously not acclimatizing to how Sari wants his teams to play. Um, I don't really know what Lazio's objectives are. I can't see them getting into the top four. Maybe if they finish sixth or seventh, that is realistic, a realistic target, and I could see that happening. Um, but I would be amazed if both teams overachieved. Like, I don't see Inter... To me, at this early stage, I'm seeing Napoli and Milan fight for the title. And, of course, Juve are slowly going to... You know, under Allegri, it's going to take... It took them a while at the beginning of the season, but Juve is slowly finding the gears. And I... I Genuinely think Inter will be lucky to finish fourth. And how and how about you, Francesco? I know you were quite high on Lazio at the start of the season. It's it's been up and down, to be honest, hasn't it, for them? With Inter, it's been it's been largely good, but they have had a couple of these sort of strange results. And as I said, I, I thought on paper they should have definitely won that game on the weekend and it didn't pan out that way. So so what what are your thoughts on these two teams? Yeah, I mean Lazio even though they have been up and down a bit, um, they've had quite a difficult start in terms of the fixtures. This, you know, they've already played Inter, they've played Milan. Um, so they've, had, they've, they've played Roma. They've had some tough games and they are fourth, even though they've had some difficult, uh, you know, games. And I think Emmett is right that it's going to take a bit of time to get used to Sarri. So the fact that they are doing really quite well, and I think they have a big margin for improvement, even in the, the you know from now until the end of the season, means they they could do something. I'm probably also in agreement with Emmett that I'd be surprised if they finished top four at this stage, but I don't think it's ridiculous to think that they can. Within that, I think that the issue that they're having is that they are not able to be consistent for a full ninety minutes. So throughout the season, we've seen them be good for kind of one half, or we've seen them be good after they've gone behind and then they've, they've shown their qualities coming back into games. I think that's happened three or four times. This weekend, actually, it's the, the, probably the best they've been in the first half, kind of first hour, really. I think they were in complete control of the game. And when Lazio scored, it was at that time Inter were kind of dominating and they looked more likely to score a second than, than with Latin, Lazio equalising. The, the goal came out of nothing. You know, it's a, it's a penalty. I think it was a penalty, but it comes from a corner. At that point, Lazio aren't even, you know, creating any chances anymore. And then once that happens, Inter kind of fall to pieces. And that's what Inzaghi needs to improve on. I think that he has showed some, some interesting things since he's arrived at Inter. I think he's shown things that even Conte wasn't doing. Like He's been able to change games in a way that Conte wasn't doing last season. But um, he's not been able to get that consistency of performance for a full 90 minutes. Um, I disagree a bit uh, with Emmett in where I see Inter. I still think Inter could be in the Scudetto race. And I think that, you know, for me, I still see them finishing above Milan. Um, but I also agree with him that it's not a done deal that they will finish in the top four. I think this season it's going to be extremely competitive for those top four places. There are certainly five very good sides fighting for those top four. And with Lazio and Roma as well, there's a couple of outsiders. So it is going to be interesting. We saw I, think, I think with Inter as well, they're not killing teams off. There's a lack of a killer instinct, obviously with Lukaku leaving. Like if you look at the, their champ the first Champions League game against Real Madrid, like they were by far the better team 
but they couldn't score. Against Shakhtar, there's a couple of chances that they had, didn't take them, and they end up both games not scoring a single goal. You know, and now it's coming to the, the back-to-back games with Sheriff. And it actually wouldn't surprise me if Sheriff actually win one of them, you know, just because that's the way Inter are in the Champions League. So, yeah, like Francesco says, they play well in patches, but there's no consistency in maintaining the performance over 90 minutes. It's 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there. And you think when signing Eden Jacko that they would have a, a killer instinct, but they really don't. And that's something they lack. For me, for me, it's not so much that. I think what, one of the issues that Inzaghi's having at the beginning of this season is the third central midfielder. So I think, yeah. you know, you've, you've already mentioned Lukaku and Hakimi, how, how they lost them over the summer. They've also lost Ericsson. Uh, I don't think yeah. Ericsson had a standout season last season. I don't think he was amazing or he really stole, you know, was the Inter's most impressive player. But I think he probably was having more of an effect in terms of how balanced the team was than we possibly even perceived and I think with Chananoglu coming in he has struggled with that and now it looks like Inzaghi's kind of lost faith in him I mean Gayardini started on on the weekend which I think is damning in terms of where Chananoglu stands they've had a you know it looked like Vidal was coming back into form then he had an incident where he was rolling around on the back of a car you know they got Classic some Vidal. yeah exactly <laughs> i think that third midfielder is kind of also under because i think brozovic and barella are two of the best midfielders in the league but i think that third berth is undermining the good stuff that those two are doing and is causing them problems and it, it needs sorting out i mean i'm surprised that inzaghi seems to have already lost a bit of faith with chanaloglu i thought he would give him a bit more time to get used to it because i think it he was playing in a different system at milan last season and it probably will take time for him to to get used to playing as that third central midfielder in the same way that it took Ericsson a bit of time. But that is probably the, the a position that is probably affecting the team more than a, it appears. And, and it's probably, you know, paradoxically, I feel like they've done a better job of replacing Hakimi and Lukaku who were so important for them last season and possibly slightly overlooked the fact that they are also missing Ericsson maybe even more than those two. It amazes yes. me, to be honest, that Inter even made a bid for Chanlulu, who I think is one of the most overrated players in Serie A and has been for the last couple of years. He's essentially a good set-piece taker, and that's it. He offers precious little in terms of play, you know, away from set-pieces, and Milan were right in not offering him what he wanted, and then Inter, being Inter, snapped him up and paid him what he wanted. I thought it was a bad decision, and Nzaghi's already lost faith in him, so what does that tell you? Yeah, not working, not working out for Chalonolu so far. Uh, but we've been talking about Milan a little bit and we're, we're going to go on to them now because they played uh, right after that Lazio Inter game against Verona. Um, I think coming into that game, a lot of people were really concerned for Milan because uh, Menon's been ruled out for a couple of months with a wrist injury uh, and Brahim Diaz and Teo Hernandez both tested positive for COVID. They went 2-0 down uh, early on but they managed to come back three and win 3-2. Um, we've spoken about this before, Francesco, about the strength in character that Milan have and have showed over the last sort of 18 months under Pioli. Was this another really good example of that, do you think? Yeah, probably the most impressive example of that this season because you're right to underline how many important players were missing. Um, and the fact that they, they went 2-0 down and were playing pretty poorly... Um, but were able to, to pull out a win. It, it was really impressive. Um, 
I think another thing that you underlined kind of at the beginning of the season, Sam, which is important, is the fact that Milan, I think, were one of only two sides, along with Atalanta, who confirmed their manager from last season. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you see with this Milan side is that, to me right now, they're probably the best coach side in Serie A. And it's not just that first 11 who knows what they're doing. It's also the guys who come in when those guys are missing. So when they are missing big players, the players that are coming in, they know how they need to interpret the match. They know what, what Purely wants from them. And that's partly because he's been there for a long time, but part, but also because he's done such a good job in coaching this team. So I think the real advantage that Milan have had so far this season, and you spotted it earlier, I, I, I think I, I wasn't sure about it, is the fact that Purely's been there for the past couple of years and he has built a team that really is well drilled and and knows how to you know what to do and and it's not just that first 11 it's everyone in the squad who knows what they need to do when on the pitch yeah i think it's interesting how you bring that up because i think we spoke at the start of the season how milan's strength in depth is perhaps their biggest weakness but i think perhaps T uh, pioli's tactics and and the way he sets his side up sort of covers up those weaknesses a bit because we saw on the weekend, for example, Samu Castillejo coming off the bench. He's received a lot of criticism in his time at Milan, but he really made a difference. And I think that's just because he knew exactly what he needed to do in that last sort of half an hour. What, what do you make of them, Emmett? Because I know you said you think they'll be battling for the title with Napoli. So do you, do you think they've got a really good chance of going one better than last year when they finished as runners-up? I really do. Um, I agree with Francesco that I think they're, they're the most, the best coach side in the league. And um, Stefano Pioli, he's actually made them better than the sum of the parts. You know, Milan don't have a lot of money. I know they spent in the summer, but compared to, say, the likes of Roma, who spent over 100 million, and Napoli spent big two summers ago, Milan have spent relatively little over the last couple of years. But he's got them playing in a really good uh, forward adventurous dynamic fashion and as Francesco said players come in and they know the rules although in saying that, uh, that that's not um, going towards Alexis Salamakers who was dreadful <laughs> in the Verona game he was all over the place I don't think he knew what his instructions were and he got hauled off at half time um, but generally players come onto the pitch and they know the rules you say someone like Raddy Krunic who, who has been out what for a couple of months he came off the bench and him and Cassieu made a big impression, added a lot more uh, dynamism to Milan in the second half. And yeah, I really think having that stability of having the same coach when you had, what, five of the top seven teams all change managers. Um, having Pioli there more or less plays the same system, doesn't change it. And the players know where they need to be is a big advantage for Milan. And I was actually really impressed that they managed to come back because I felt 2-0 down. They didn't actually look like getting back in the game until until maybe Giroud's uh, goal. Um, I thought, Bruno have this. You know, this is... They'll, they'll, they'll see the game out. You know, they'll, they'll be compact. Milan will find them difficult to break down. And this will be, you know, this will be a, an unexpected defeat. But then Giroud scores, and then they get a penalty, which wasn't really a penalty, let's be honest. But Castillo kicked himself, <laughs> did, did a spin, and managed to get a penalty out of it. And then the young goal, well, that's you know the presence of Zlatan. He just makes opposing defenders score on goals. Um, but I was really impressed with their attitude. Now they come back, and that was a big test for Pioli. Just quickly, Sam, because you mentioned it, I think the. Um, 
the, the, I, I was one of those people who, who wasn't sure about the, the depth of this Milan team at the beginning of the season. I thought they maybe hadn't done enough during the summer. And another thing that probably cr- purely deserves credit for is the, the growth uh, in terms of performance that we've seen of some of the players that were there last season that have really become key players like Tornali, like Leal, for example, who came on, he got another great assist. And he's, you know, from being someone who, who did amazing things kind of every six or seven games, he's now doing things consistently. Um, you know, even Brahim Diaz, who last season looked, I, I wasn't sure he was good enough to play for Milan. All of a sudden, he looks like a top player. Um, you know, Tamori, who finished last season well, he's continued to, to go from strength to strength. So these players that I wasn't sure uh, that were really top players, it turns out that, that purely, uh, certainly in this team, they are playing that well. They are playing like top players. So it does feel like they have more depth than they had. Having said that, I don't think that having Casalico is is any kind of proof of that. I, I still think in the context of Serie A, he is a bit rubbish. And um, <laughs> even, even, even that, the second goal, I mean, that is a misplaced cross that for some reason the Verona player kicks into his own goal. So, you know, I think everything is coming up Milan at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's, they, they are doing well. And, and they are pro- I think they are better than I thought they were. And it is going to be interesting to see if they can keep it up, especially if you consider that last season, they also had a fantastic start. And then in the second half, they... You know, they almost blew a kind of, I think they had a kind of 13-point lead over fifth place and they, in the end, they only just qualified for the Champions League. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep it up all season. I think yeah, it speaks I'm, volumes of uh, Briam Diaz's improvement this season that Milan looks so disjointed without him in the Verona game because he's, so far this season, you've seen Diaz, you know, drop deep, get the ball, carry it to the forward positions, but without him... Against Verona, Milan looked awful. Uh, but it's, it speaks volumes to how much Pioli has improved him over the last four or five months. Yeah, he's, re- he's really come on strong. Uh, I'm not a massive Castellejo fan either, Francesco. Um, I actually thought both penalties were a bit dodgy in this game. Having a look at the... The Verona one looked like a stone-cold penalty at first. Um, having looked at the replay, it looks more like Kalinic sort of wax Romagnoli's shin and then <laughs> rolls around on the floor. So, yeah, enough talking about penalties for now. Um, actually, I tell a lie because we're moving on to Napoli now, who had a penalty. Insigne missed it. Um, Emmett, I'll come to you first on this one. Uh, should Insigne still be on penalties for Napoli? I think he's missed a couple this season. He just doesn't seem to be particularly good at them. Yeah, well, this is his uh, second consecutive penalty that he missed. He missed uh, the first one in the game of Fiorentina before the international break, and then he missed um, against Torino. He just needs to put more power in his penalties. He tried against Torino. We tried the the Jorginho skip, and it was just it was just it was a team effort. There was no power behind it, and it was easily saved by Milinkovic Savic. Um, Spalletti has said that. Insigne will continue to take the penalties, so he maybe just needs to change his technique. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, of course, for Napoli, that was an eighth straight win, Francesco. Uh, been, been an unbelievable start for them. Ozzyman again getting the winner. Again, we, we keep sort of coming back to this, but last season and the season before, that's the kind of game that they'd have drawn or maybe even lost 1-0. So picking up these kind of results, does that show that they're, you know, not only in the title race, but probably the favourites for the title at the moment. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is that fair. Um, I'm One of the most impressive things about Napoli this season, I think, has been their defence. 
I think they've only conceded three goals all season and they're by far and away the, the best defence in Serie A at the moment. And we saw with Inter how it was only once they got their defence all out last season that they really started to dominate. So I think that is really important. And I think the fact that Spalletti has picked Rachmani has... Uh, who, who is having a great season himself, but has also helped Koulibaly to... I, I, I get the feeling that Koulibaly doesn't fully trust... Um, uh, what's the Greek guy called? Remind me. Manalas. Yeah, Manalas. Yeah. I, I get the feeling that, that when he's playing with Manalas, he always feels like he has to cover him a little bit more. And it feels to me like this is the best Koulibaly we've seen since he's been at Napoli. So I think he's been one of the best defenders in the league for, for a long time now. But right now, I feel like he is the out-and-out best defender in the league. And part of that is because... He looks the most relaxed he's ever been. He looks like he completely trusts his teammates around him. And that is obviously helping Napoli keep clean sheets. Um, and the other big plus for them, obviously, is, is Aussie Man. Um, you know, I know that Sam is a big fan of Aussie Man, like I am. And we expected big things from this, him this season. And he is really delivering. I think this in, in the game this weekend, he was, he was Napoli's best player. And not just because of the goal, but his all-round play is just of such high quality. I think he has surprised me at how good he is at holding the ball up. I think he doesn't look like he's that, you know, big in terms of his physique. He doesn't look, but he's able to hold off massive defenders consistently and bring other players into the game. And his goal scoring record, this goal scoring record this season is, is excellent. I think he's got eight in nine. So they, they look like the real deal. And, you know, they, they, they also they feel more pragmatic. And I think that is helping them to win these kinds of games. I think Torino is going to be a tough game for anyone this season. They're, they're a solid side. And so it's a, I think it's a huge win for Napoli. Yeah, very impressive um, result for them. And and they I, I think the only other time they won eight straight at the start was Sari's last season. Um, and I think I saw a stat which said that in the first eight games, then they scored 25. They've only got 18 this time, but they conceded five and they've only conceded three this time. So, as you say, defensively outstanding so far. Um, another team, I think... The only other team we haven't mentioned that could be battling for top four this year is Atalanta. They beat Empoli 4-1. Um, was this more like the Atalanta we're used to, Emmett? Because they've been a bit underwhelming so far, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, Atalanta, the last two or three seasons, they've been slow starters. You know, it's, it takes them a while to warm up. And in the second half of the season, they just decimate everyone before them. And, you, and then they fall a couple of points short of maybe really challenging for the title. And you think if they could just get the start of the season right yeah. as they finished the previous one, then they could really challenge. And again, we're seeing that again at the beginning of this season where there's one game, it's the old Atlanta, the next game they stumble. And it's, you know, it's there's just a, a maddening inconsistency there. Um, but yeah, this was more like it. Obviously, Ilicic was back. Muriel was back. So Pato was in amongst the goals. I mean, Elitis's second goal was absolutely sublime. The the layoff from Muriel, he just bends it into the top corner. It was um, yeah, this was more like it. And obviously, Atalanta had players missing. You know, Pacino was missing. Um, the two wing backs, Hadebor and um, Guzens, was missing. So yeah, it was a really impressive performance from Atalanta. Yeah, I felt a bit for Ilicic. Had the chance to get his hat trick, blasted a penalty over the bar, and Gasparini immediately was like, "That's your lot, mate. Off you come." <laughs> I was thinking, like, at least give him another like five minutes to try and get that hat trick goal, but he'd clearly made up his mind. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention was, as you said, Zapata there, he scored his hundredth Serie A goal, and 
he's just been excellent the last sort of four years, hasn't he, Francesco? Um, from not really making it in Napoli, not pulling up any trees, particularly at Sampdoria. He's been brilliant for Atalanta. In in the in that last sort of four or five years, where does he rank in terms of Serie A strikers for you? You've obviously got Ronaldo, I guess, who's who's out there on his own. Immobile, you know, where, where does Zapata fit into into that puzzle? Well, you said, you know, you mentioned Ronaldo and Immobile, actually. That, that they, just, I guess you might say they're, they're a little bit ahead of Zapata, but I'm not necessarily in agreement. I think one of the things that um, that I'd say is that he doesn't take penalties. And if you look at his kind of minutes per goal ratio, I think it's much closer to Ronaldo and Immobile than you might think. And I think in some seasons, he's actually outscored them from open play. Yeah. He also contributes so much to the team. I mean, he gets assists. He's he's technically excellent, but also he's he's quite a big guy. He's fast. So in a similar way to what Osimhen does for Napoli, he's he's constantly holding the ball up and bringing other people into play. And he really suits the way Atalanta play, I think. I, I, understandably, Gasperini loves him and... Um, it's you know he he has kind of been emblematic of this Atalanta side, the kind of rise of this Atalanta team. So it's really good that he's got 200 goals, and I would say that he's right up there with with the best strikers that we've seen over the last kind of five or six years in Serie. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a big Zapata fan myself, and uh, you say he doesn't take penalties, but after Ilicic's miss, um, he might be quite he might be high up the list. Um, so we'll see if he gets a chance in in the coming weeks. And so just moving towards the sort of bottom end of the table now, uh, and we had Cagliari picking up their first win of the season, uh, Francesco three one against Sampdoria. Um, I know that we've we previously said that Sampdoria have actually been playing quite well this season, but they're not getting the results. And, and this was a particularly disappointing one for them. I've heard that sort of diverse is already coming under a bit of pressure. Is that a little bit harsh based on, you know, they've done pretty well against sort of both Milan clubs and, and Juventus? Um, or, or do you think that ultimately he's got to start picking up points? I think it feels harsh, you're right. At the same time, though, after starting the season in terms of their performances, and they've had a tough start, you know, you, you rightly underline the fact they've played both Milan clubs, they've played Napoli, they've played Juve, but it felt like they were playing quite well. It is quite disappointing that from Udinese and Cagliari this weekend, they, they've only managed to get one point. And to me, I, I felt surprised when I looked at the league table and Cagliari actually joined Samp on six points because it feels to me like Samp have had quite a good season so far and Cagliari have been a bit rubbish. Um, so I think it would be a mistake to get rid of Daversa. I think he is doing good things and I expect Samdaria to, to climb the league a little bit, probably finish in mid-table. Um, I'd certainly be a lot more confident about them than I am about Cagliari. Um, but also at the same time, it is a bit disappointing that they haven't you know, picked up a few more points in the in the last couple of fixtures. Yeah, it seems at the moment they're producing their best performances in the in the against the better teams and not quite getting there. And then when they play teams of their level, they sort of drop to that level themselves. Um, we'll we'll move on to Genoa Sassuolo because those are two other teams who sort of had quite disappointing starts to the season. That ended two all uh, after Sassuolo took an early two nil lead. Emmett. Um, We've seen Sassuolo last couple of years, sort of eighth, ninth, you know, flirting with the top seven as well. 
But what what's the best they can hope for this year? Maybe mid-table? They seem to have dropped quite significantly, haven't they, the last few months? Yeah, I think Roberto De Zerbi leaving for Shakhtar is a big is a big miss. He obviously got the team playing really, you know, Cavalier-esque swashbuckling football. And I think him him leaving is a big is a big dent on their hopes of maybe you know cracking into the Europa Conference League or the, the Europa League uh, places. So yeah, I think maybe you know I think now this season Fiorentina seem to have got their their act together, and you've got a proper seven or eight of the biggest teams now in Serie A. So I don't know if Sassuolo can really. There was a time where Sassuolo could have easily have cracked into the top six. But I think that that time has now ended, and the best they could maybe hope for is eighth, ninth, tenth, perhaps if you know if they go on a good run. But there's still a decent core of players there. You know, you still have um, Jeremy Boga, Domenico Berardi, obviously Skamaka, Raspadori. So I mean, I wouldn't write them off, but I think they've probably peaked. You know, the the deserving years was kind of solo at their peak. Yeah, it does seem that way at the moment. Um... Another couple of teams, I believe these two teams started the weekend uh, in the bottom two places, actually, and Spezia picked up an important 2-1 win against Salonitana. Um, I think we were all pleasantly surprised by how well Spezia did last year, Francesco, but are you a bit concerned for them? I, I know that we've said Salonitana are probably going to go down this year. Do you think Spezia might join them, or, or, or will they have enough again, do you think? This is a great win for them. Um, I think they needed it. I I think they are going to be one of the teams fighting for, for safety right up until the end of the season. Um, there's, you know, I I don't know that I could confidently say that there are three sides worse than Spezia. Um, I think Salah Dana probably are one of them, but... Yeah, they're I think, definitely one of them. <laughs> you know, after, after that, you know, Empoli looked like quite a good side, Um I'm not sure about Venezia, maybe Cagliari, but but after that you struggle to to, to think of other teams that, that Spezia are going to be better than over the course of the season. So I, I think this is a huge win for them, but I do think they are they're definitely going to be in, in a relegation fight right up until till the end. Yeah, that's certainly how it's how it's looking. And of course, Salonatana had actually started picking up before the international break, but another defeat for them here um, knocks them back slightly. And the final game that we're going to touch on from the weekend, of course, Venezia and Fiorentina play tonight. We're recording this on Monday evening, so we'll have to see how that one goes. But but the other one we're going to talk about, Bologna Udinese. This finished one all despite. Udinese being down to 10 men for over an hour. One game, I want, one player I wanted to pick out from this game, Emmett, is Musa Barrow, who, who got on the score sheet again. He's been scoring a few goals lately. Um, he previously came for Atalanta, of course, and he's still only, I think, about maybe 22, so still very young. Could he ever get back to that sort of Atalanta level, do you think, playing, you know, maybe Champions League or Europa League football or... Or, or where do you see his career going? Because at the moment with Bologna, that you know mid-table club, can it can he push on more? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of Musabaro, and I definitely think that he has a lot of untapped potential at this point. Um, I actually thought the move to Bologna was a smart one where he would get regular football because he wasn't really playing that much for Atalanta. Um, so I was a fan of the move to Bologna. Yeah. Um, 
And he he did okay last season. You know, I think if I remember correctly, he reached double figures for goals. Um, the problem is with Bologna, they're just so inconsistent. Like they beat Lazio 3-0 and then you expect them to kick on and beat Udinese and then they draw. They'll win the next game and then they'll draw or lose the subsequent game. It's just, if Mihailovic could, Mihailovic has a good team there. He just needs to work on getting them to be consistent. And I think Musa Barrow would benefit from that. Um, but there's definitely, he has a lot of potential there and he can get back to that Atalanta level or even maybe playing for likes of a, a Lazio or Roma or, you know, teams of that ilk. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Musa Barrow and there's definitely a lot of on-top potential there. Yeah, I I agree. I I think if you could, if you look at his numbers as well, he I think he got nine goals last season and eight assists. I think the season before he got nine goals as well in about fifteen games or twenty games, so not playing that much. And this season he started off really well. And you also said how young he was. It's, you know, I, I was when I was looking at stats, I was surprised that he's still only twenty two. It feels like he has been around for a while, and he always seems to do well in in all the games. He's always a threat, I think. And if you think that, you know, Roma, for example, bought Shamoradov this season for nearly 20 million, Inter bought Korea for, I think, 30 plus million, who in terms of what they've done in the league numbers-wise is comparable to what Barrow's been doing. I think he's kind of, you know, he's probably an opportunity for for one of the bigger clubs. Um, I could definitely see him doing a job at, at kind of a Lazio or Roma teams who are trying to break into that top four. But even coming off the bench for an Inter or, uh, you know, Juve, I, I don't think it's ridiculous to think that he could even have an impact at, at that kind of club. I, I, I'd i like to see him move on and to, to a bigger team and see what he can do. Yeah, I think when he was coming through the ranks at Atalanta, it was just as Zapata was starting to push through. And of course, Atalanta has since got Luis Muriel. Um but yeah, as, as you say, he's really starting to kick on now and, and perhaps will get that big move in the next year or two. Um, but that wraps, wraps up the weekend's action. I know I want to just have a quickly look ahead to uh, the European action coming up in midweek because it's the return of the Champions League, the Europa League and, of course, the Europa Conference League. Um, with regards to Champions League football, uh, we'll start with Tuesday's action. Um let me just check who's playing Tuesday. I believe it's I believe it's uh, Milan Porto Mi- Milan Milan away at Porto exactly. Uh, Milan have been a bit unfortunate so far in the group to get no points from their games. So Emma, is this a must-win game for them against arguably the weakest side in the group? Yeah, these are the two back-to-back games. I think are crucial if if Milan actually want to get try and get out of the group. Um, if they if they can't beat Porto, then they don't deserve to be in the Champions League, with all due respect to Porto. Simple as that. Um, even to get to third place, you know, maybe fall into the Europa League, Milan need to secure six points from the next two games. And have, as you said, they have been very unlucky, especially in the game against Atletico. You know, they're by far the better team. Atletico were very poor, but managed just to turn it around. Obviously, Cassie getting sent off in the opening half an hour. Um, against Liverpool, they were kind of given a lesson for 45 minutes and somehow were 2-1 up at half-time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they need to win. Simple as that. There's no way about it. And, of course, another team who really needs to win is Inter, who also played Tuesday night. They're playing Sheriff, of course, who are 
you know, having an unbelievable start to their campaign. Of course, beat Real Madrid last time out. So, Francesco, I guess, into enter this game as clear favourites, but they've only got one point from their first two games. They can't afford to take Sheriff lightly, can they? No, but at the same time, uh, they need to stop being babies and win. I feel like <laughs> Inter, every, every time they get into the Champions League, they, they underperform. Um, this is a, a really good Inter side. They, they might not be as good as last season, but if you compare them to Sheriff, it's a game they should be winning. And we're just not seeing the real Inter in the Champions League. We, we didn't see them against Shakhtar. I think they were pretty good, at, you know, as Emmett mentioned, they were pretty good against Real Madrid, but they need to just turn up in the Champions League. Even the it, intermittent Inter that we've seen so far this season should be enough to beat Sheriff tomorrow. And it would be really a bad result if they do not get out of this group this season. You know, they won the league, so they were seeded first. They had an easier draw. It's not, it's not you know, a, a terrible group, but it's a group they should definitely get out of. And they need to beat Sheriff tomorrow and in the next game. It's, and, and they should be. Uh, yeah, so, you know, stop being babies, just show up and win. <laughs> and, and should is a key word there, Francesco, because after all, this is Inter in the Champions League. They've only won in the last three seasons since they've returned to the Champions League. They've only won five times from twenty games. Like, and if you look at their groups that they've been in, they really aren't haven't been the toughest groups. But this is Inter, and nobody does epic failure like Inter do. <laughs> Yeah, they really have been making hard work of it, particularly against Shakhtar Donetsk, who they haven't scored against in their last three meetings. It seems a bit of a bizarre bogey team to have, but that's just the way it is. Um, and then on Wednesday, we have Juve travelling to Zenit St. Petersburg. Of course, Juve have had a perfect start to their Champions League group, six points from two games. Um, but, you know, Zenit showed something against Chelsea. Um, they only lost that game 1-0 in the opening group match. So, could this be a bit of a tricky one for Juve, do you think, Emmett? 1-0. Uh, 1-0 Juve. Put the house on us. 1-0 Juve. Goal in the opening 20 minutes, then sit on the yeah. edge of their own penalty box. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it will be a tough challenge, but uh, I do expect Juve to win. Maybe 1-0, maybe not. They might actually score a second for a change, but yeah, I do. It won't, it won't be easy. It never is going to Zenit, but I do think Juve, the, the Allegri is slowly bringing that Grinta back, that the, the Juve DNA that's kind of been lost the last two and a half years. So, yeah, I think Juve will win. In the, in the context of, of what's happening in the league as well, the fact that they are a little bit behind, winning against Senate really would, would secure qualification, almost certainly. Yeah. And then they can focus on, on making up some points in the league. So I think it is... Yeah, it's an important game for you, Uber. And I'm like Emmett, I, I expect them to beat Zenit. Yeah, um, if it is going to be one of those one nils, then I'm not sure I'm going to be watching. I think there's a slightly <laughs> more interesting game on Wednesday night, and that's Man United Atalanta. Um, you know, Atalanta much improved on the weekend, and Man United are in disarray a little bit, Francesco. So, do you think there's a real chance for Atalanta to, you know, get a bit of an upset win? We the only thing I'm concerned about with this is that in the last couple of seasons, Atalanta have had a battering from an English club. They got battered by Liverpool. They got battered by Man City. But then then they turn it around in the return game. But, you know, this game could go any way, really, couldn't it? Yeah, I think we we know more or less what we're going to get with Atalanta. 
I think the the uncertainty is is about what Man United are gonna are gonna do. They're obviously a team full of top top players, but they are not playing well at the moment. I think if if they play like they did against Leicester this weekend, then I would expect Atalanta to win. Um, but there's no guarantee that they will do that. So I, I think it's a it's a big opportunity for Atalanta to to win a, a high profile European game. It's not like they're new to this. You know, they've been in the Champions League for two or three seasons now. They've played some other huge clubs and, and got wins. And it would be a huge step towards getting out of this group if they were able to win tomorrow. So, uh, sorry, on, on Wednesday. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably the pick of the games and I, I think they have a chance. Yeah, you make for an intriguing battle because Man United have clearly have the better players. But... They're coached by a Serie B level manager, whereas Atalanta have inferior players, but by far the better coach. So it's again a way it up. You know, you don't really know how the game's going to play out. Yeah, I'm. I'm just hoping that um, you know, if there's Fred in the lineup and stuff like that, then I give Atalanta a great chance. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if if Solskjaer names about six attacking players and no midfield, Atalanta it, have a great chance. It, have Man United sacked Solskjaer? Or am I? No. no, it's still going to be Solskjaer on Tuesday. I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe he's okay. been sacked. Let me just check. No, there's no, no sacking yet. I, I, I okay. believe they're going to stick with him. Um, yeah, well, I think you know if they do stick with him, I, I think that is uh, that's probably good news for Atalanta. But... <laughs> to the benefit of every other side, the Man United play. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then we'll move on to the Europa League Thursday night, and we have Lazio against Marseille. Um, you know, two quite historic clubs. Lazio, of course, lost their first game, then won their second. Um, how do you see this sort of panning out, Emmett? Um, is this is this a maybe Lazio's best chance of silverware this season, the Europa League? If Maurizio Sarri would take it seriously, yes, but he won't take it seriously. He was given off about having to play more than once a week recently, if I remember correctly. So. You know, he doesn't like the Thursday-Sunday Thursday Sunday, Thursday, Sunday uh, schedule. So I would say he would want Lazio to exit this competition as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I can't see Lazio going far, to be honest. Right. And then Napoli against uh, Leisure Warsaw, um, also Thursday night, Francesco. Napoli have actually not had a great start in Europe. They've got one one point against Leicester, but then got a bit of a shock defeat um, against Spartak Moscow. Um, so what do you think for this? A, a must-win game for them? And I sense they're taking the Europa League a bit more seriously than Lazio. Would that be fair to say? It feels that way. I mean, certainly I, I watched the game against Leicester and the, the reaction from Spalletti when they equalised it, it felt like they, and, and he put out a strong side as well. It felt like they were really were taking it seriously. I am worried that because of how well they are doing in the league and because it has become a huge opportunity for them to win the Scudetto, that if if it came to it, they would just push this competition to one side. But, um, you know, for me, they are the strongest team in this group. And if they win this week, then that would put them right back in contention. Uh, so, I, I hope they do continue to take it seriously because I, I genuinely feel that they have a chance of winning this competition. And um, yeah, I mean, 
it's the only competition that Napoli have ever won in Europe with, with Maradona. So I think there is there's I, I still think it's uh, it's a prestigious competition. It would be great to see an Italian side doing well in it. Yeah, I think so, Francesco makes a really good point. If Napoli do get through the group, and then by the time the competition resumes in February, if Napoli are still top, I would expect Spalletti to make a, a swift exit from the Europa League <laughs> if they're still top. I think it all depends where Napoli are in the league come February. Um, because I don't know if their squad is deep enough to play Thursday, Sunday, once you get the knockout rounds. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how, how Spalletti does handle it. Uh, but of course, they've got to get through that group first. And at the moment, they're not particularly well positioned to do that. Uh, and then the only other side in European action, Roma, uh, in the Europa Conference League, they seem to be taking it fairly seriously under Mourinho, who does tend to take Europe seriously. They're playing Bodo Glimt of Norway, who, who famously, I say famously, I remember it, uh, gave... Milan a bit of a tough test last year in the uh, Europa League sort of qualifying round it was. Um, so how, how do you see this one, Emmett? Uh, Roma continuing to take it quite seriously. Again, a, a decent chance for silverware for them, possibly. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think it's a it's a competition that, Ro- I mean, them and Tottenham are the favourites. And it's, it's not like the Europa League where, you know, teams from the Champions League drop down. You know, it's basically who's whoever is in the competition stays in the competition as far as I know. I know I haven't read up all the rules around it, so I'm assuming it is it will be just Tottenham and Roma a procession until they get to the until they meet each other at some stage. Um but yeah, like it, it's definitely it's a trophy worth winning and it would bring a winning mentality to Roma, which is something they desperately need and something they haven't had since the days of Capello. So you, do you, yeah, I mean, that- Sorry, do you know what what the? Uh, I mean, I know they win a, a tr- well. I presume they win a trophy, but is there going to be like I, if you win the Europa League, you go into the Champions League as I think the top seed? Is, did would would the Roma get? Uh, what else do you get if you win the conference? Yeah, that's it, Francesco. You get automatic entry into the Europa League. Oh, into the Europa seed. League. Okay, okay. Yeah, bonsai tree as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think Roma won that last time. Um, no, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, going to be an interesting week. I'm really looking forward to the Man United Atalanta game. As I said, that could go either way, and I wouldn't be completely surprised. Uh, but we'll, of course, catch up on all that next week. Thanks very much for joining me, guys. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you again soon. Bye bye.